Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right. Well, well not say radio insider. Podcast insider. It is Friday, uh, the 27th, the day before the Super Bowl. Uh, we uh, talked to David Duchovny today. Duchovny or Duco- Duchovny? Duchovny. Duchovny. I was not, I had to lie a little bit. I was. A, I would say I was like a C-plus X-Files fan. I would watch it, and they're kind of standalones too, sort of. You know, I would flip the around. The earlier and, ones are standalones. Yeah, it got a little too, for me it got a little too. Now, you know, it's funny, it's sort of a precursor for all these shows now. Like, yeah. the X-Files definitely birthed sort of a whole generation of this stuff. Absolutely. And the company became a mega star. But now he's like these actors do, you know, Johnny Depp and Russell Crowe, and there's five million of them. He's doing his music, and he's at the Wilbur in February, February 22nd. He's at the Wilbur, you know. Uh, if you're a fan of his, I would definitely suggest going to see it. Why not? You get to see your, If you're a fan of the guy, go and see him play music for two hours. I'm sure it'll be fine. I enjoyed the conversation. It was short. As you Sometimes with these stars... And they're promoting something they're up against. I'm sure he's doing 30 of these spots today. We got about 25 minutes, maybe? Yeah, just uh, about 23 minutes. I thought it was good. You know, it's one of these ones that towards the end you could tell he was like, all right, let's get to the next one. But he was absolutely fine. We talked about everything. Uh, I enjoyed it. Seems like a nice guy, laid-back guy. Obviously, uh, he's had a real successful career. He's one of these guys who I like because he's done a bunch of different shit. And if I had an hour or two, I think I really would have enjoyed it. Uh, But for a short sort of one-off on a week where I'm in Houston and I don't have time to do anything, probably... You're going to have to live with it, fucking deal with it. It's going to be the Coveney. What do you think, by the way, before we go, what are the chances of us doing an actual podcast in Houston? Low? No, I think it's actually pretty good because... Uh, like 40 <laughs> minutes with somebody in Houston in the middle of all that chaos? The reason I say it's 100% will do it is because it's Glenn. We're, oh, we're doing Glenn in Houston? Yeah, why not? Or do you want to wait till we come back? I don't. It doesn't really matter to me. Why? Oh, it's really up to it's up to him. Really, that's true. What I was, what I probably do it at night where it's a little more laid back or something after dinner, maybe. What I was thinking with regards to Houston was it's going to be probably like four people do ten minutes. Yeah, one of those in one in one episode. You kind of just burn through a bunch of people. It's Kirk live from not live, but Kirk from Houston. Yeah, yeah. You know that type of situation. Okay, uh, which I think would be pretty good because no one's going to give us more than ten fifteen minutes. Probably not. I don't know who we're going to get. It's so, so so chaotic there. It's very difficult, and yeah. you guys are off air at 9 a.m. Houston time. Yeah, we're around. We have nothing to do. I'm gonna be. I'm at the. I'll be two minutes away, so we can figure that out. But I, I liked. I liked the company. Would I put it in the top ten of the? This will be number 51, by the way. I know. Would I put it in the top ten? I would not. Uh, would I put it closer to one than 51? Probably. I'd say it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's around worth, the if, 15. If, if you're going for a 20, if you're in your car for 20 minutes, you're going for a run for 20 minutes. It's fine. He seems like a nice guy, laid back. Uh, you had said there was not guidelines, but there were certain ways to start the interview per Duchovny's guy. Yeah, his uh, his manager called me right and talked to me for a few minutes and kind of just he was really nice about him, pretty cool about it because he was like, "Listen, you know, if you start here, you'll get a great interview out of him. If you right. don't start there, he's going to kind of shut down and be like, what am I doing?' Right. And if there's certain other things like, hey, don't bring that up because he won't, you know, he won't give you anything, and it's not going to be a good interview for you if he's right. not giving you anything if you go here. 
um, which I was very appreciative of, and I know you were too, because it's like, hey, you're no, actually helps. helping us right. have a good yes. interview. You don't get a lot of that. And he's kind of laid back sound. You know the cub, and he's sort of, you know, laconic, sort of, you know, a very laid back guy. Dry. Dry. But, you know, as, a, as I mentioned to him, uh, you know, that Larry Sanders character, who plays himself, who kind of has a crush on Larry Sanders, one of the great comedy things of all time, one of my favorite things ever in comedy. Shows he has a sense of humor, obviously. Came on, we talked about that. We talked about the X-Files, Twin Peaks, if you're a fan of that show, he's coming back on that. His music as well, as I said, he's playing at the Wilbur February 22nd. Is that right? I think we've humped that enough. Mm -hmm. About 26 times between that and the podcast. (laughs) So enough about me. Episode number 51, is that right? That's right. David the Cubby, here it is. So you're playing the Wilbur in February, correct? Yeah. 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 And I, I always, I'm always sort of interested in this when, you know, people who are best known for one thing, when they sort of do something else, was there a point when you were doing this where you at some point just said, you know what, I don't care if people uh, think of me as an actor doing this. I just enjoy doing it and, and, and you know, the, the feedback or whatever from some people yeah. doesn't matter at all? Or does that even, even enter your mind ever? Well, I mean, the feedback, uh, you know, if, if, it's, if it's usable musical feedback, you know, then, then, I, then I would uh, be interested, but, you know, in, in the world of Twitter, that's not, that's not really what you're <laughs> right, going to get. Right. So, I mean, I assume that people are going to be skeptical, um, and that's their right, you know. And uh, people like people to stay in the boxes that they are accustomed to, to having people in. So I get all that, and I also understand that I'm going to have a chance to, to have a bigger audience because of people knowing me from somewhere else. So, I mean, I understand that I have an advantage of, of, of at least being able to get on somebody's radar because of some other kind of celebrity that I have. So it's not, I mean, I understand all the things that are in play, but I, I think music is so kind of non-prejudicial in the fact that you are, you put on, you put on a tune and you either like it or you don't, you don't care that, that an actor is doing it. You don't care that a, a whale is making the noise, you know? If you like the noise, you like the noise. So for me, it was always like, okay, well, you can take any kind of prejudicial jokes you want to make off the top, and then if you listen to the music, you know, then you have the right to either like it or not. It's it's just music. Are you less less sensitive as you get older? Like, what I do as a sports talk radio host, and we do politics and all a bunch of stuff on our show, so we'll take, you'll take stuff on Twitter, and I'm... 42 now. If I was doing this job when I was 22 and social media existed, I'm not sure I would be able to take it necessarily. If you just became a star today with yeah. Instagram and Twitter and Facebook yeah. and all this shit, I mean, do you think you would have been able to handle it then? Does it help being older now and doing it, or does it not matter at all? I think oh, it certainly helps to to be older because, I mean, at some point you just go, well, who the fuck cares? You right. know, I'm just going to do what I do. You know, and that's that's the best that I can do. I, I, there's no angle on it. I'm not I'm not trying to get over on anybody. I'm not trying to fool anybody. I'm just making music that I love, make the, to the best music that I can, the the most musical music that I can make, or whatever. You know, with the with the lyrics that mean something to me, and hopefully mean something to other people. That's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to be something. I'm not trying to be a rock and roll star. I'm not trying to do any shit like that. But I think. I think when you when you grow up in this world of social media, I think maybe they have a different idea of of their own personal feelings. I think maybe maybe kids that grow up 
having been subjected to all this bullshit all the time, maybe they get harder earlier. I don't know. I know it was certainly a process for me to to be able to silence other people's voices, uh, critical voices in my head, you know, and, and also to be open possibly to people that have constructive things to say that are critical. When you grew up or, you know, the music that you like growing up, is it influence what you do? Do you listen to music today? Certainly. I mean, is, I mean yeah. is it, are we talking, you know, um, I'm going to guess, I don't know, is it, is it Springsteen influence, Neil Young influence, or is it, yeah. am I going I, somewhere I, else? I, yeah, no, I mean, those, you know, I certainly love those guys when I was growing up, and, and, I, and I think, you know, I, I, I'm not a really, I'm not a, I'm not a re- really, a, 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 I'm not a great musician, I'm, a, I'm certainly a new, new musician, and I'm not, I, I don't read music, and I haven't been taught music or anything like that, so, so my influences are really unconscious, and I, I figure out my influences after I write the song. You know, it's not like I, I sit down to like write a song like somebody, but I certainly can hear, you know, I can hear Petty, I can hear Springsteen, I can hear hopefully, you know, like Zevon when I, after I've written a song. Do you all, do you, is there always a fear when you write a song? It's like when you write anything, you're saying, is there always a fear when, you, when you're in the middle of writing a song and you look at it and you think, Jesus, I sound like a pretentious asshole when I write a song. You know, it's so, oh, yeah. it, like a great song is so close, I think. Even some great songs are obviously yeah. pretentious. You know what I mean? There's always that, that edge, though, of sort of, they can almost lean towards parody sometimes. You've got to be sure. careful. I mean, you look, you, look, you look at the lyrics on a, on a blank piece of page without the music, and some of the great songs are, you know, they need the music to play it all. You know, they, without the music, they are pretentious or flat or whatever. And there's some beautiful, like, magical thing that happens between lyrics and a tune when, when it works. And when it doesn't work, yeah, then it remains pretentious. But, but there's something that happens, which is what's so amazing about, you know, pop music, about you know, pop songs. You mentioned uh, Petty, and he's one of those guys, right? So I'm, I'm like a massive Springsteen fan. I've seen yeah. almost 70 shows. I'm one of these wow. one of these losers, you know. He's, he's just, <laughs> but he's been with me since I was like 10 years old. Yeah, and now I understand. I'm, it's one of those weird things where like, you know, he taught me how to deal with my dad when I was a kid, and now right. as an adult, he helps me deal with my kids. It's just, it's one of these things. But right. Petty was always kind of behind Bruce for me, but Petty has this channel on Sirius, and he's one of these guys who, when you look at him now, like as the total catalog, I mean, I know he's had a great career, but he's almost underrated. He's one of these guys you'll hear like an unreleased Petty song, and you'll think, yeah. "Holy shit! Like, how did this not make an album in like '83 or '84?" Yeah, I mean, what I what I love about Petty and and what I respect about Springsteen as well. Um, I, I I do a, a cover of a Petty song um, in the concert, uh, Square One. I mm-hmm. don't know if you know the song. Yeah, it's one. It's a more recent song, but mm-hmm. but what I really respect about those guys is that that. You know they they've as they continue to write they can they start to address the things that they're addressing as men at the age that they are at you know they're not writing songs about kissing girls in the back seat anymore right you know they as you said you know he taught you how to deal with your dad you know Adam raised a cane I'm thinking yes. and that kind of stuff right of course and then now he's writing about his kids yes and that to me that's a that's an incredible thing and and for me you know starting at my age, to write songs, you know, I couldn't write the early songs. <laughs> I, I don't get to write the early songs. Right. You know, I got, I got to go straight to uh, <laughs> to the older songs, which has been an interesting thing because I, I, you talk about pretentious. I couldn't lie and and sit there and try to write songs about you know kissing Janie in the backseat of the car. 
Did you have you have you written for a, a script ever? Have you had a script produced yeah. for for which for for movie or television? I've uh, I wrote one movie and directed it called House of D. House of D. That's right. That's right. And yes, I've yeah. written uh, I wrote and directed I think three X Files and mm-hmm. I um, yeah and, yeah. Uh, How's that? Did you enjoy that process versus the songwriting process? I know it's totally different. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I love the the collaborative aspect of of both uh, music and and making film or television, and that you know you have this blueprint of, you know, for me, if it's a song, I've threw some chords together and I've got a melody and I've got some lyrics and then I, I, I work on it with the guys in my band and it becomes something else. And it's the same with uh, a movie or TV, which is, you know, you've got the blueprint of the words on a page and then you give it to the actors and you give it to the DP and you, and you put, you know, music under it or over it and it becomes something completely different that you didn't expect. Did you enjoy... Sort of the, the the peak phenomenon of the X Files. Did you enjoy being like that? Sort of the peak of your fame you'll ever have in your life. Did you enjoy it at the time, or did you not enjoy it? Um. Well, I I, I think I appreciated it. Um. I, I you know enjoy. I I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I I would if I knew what I knew now. Then you know it's that kind of a thing. Yeah. I think at the time I was. I was afraid that that was all I was going to be known for, you know, so I had a certain kind of pushback against it, if you know what I'm saying. Sure. So, uh, and also I wanted to, you know, go on and do other things and use the platform that that celebrity had given me to, to go on and do other things with my life. So, you know, to appreciate something, to enjoy something, you kind of have to stand still, and I don't think I was doing much standing still at that point. But are you cool with the idea now that for some people, and obviously you've done, you know, a million other things, California, we know yeah. all the things, but are you cool with the idea that for a lot of people, that's just what you're known for now, now that you've, you know, you're 20 years removed from the first run of it, or more? Yeah, I mean, th- what what I realized at one point is that there's never, it, there's never I'm never going to do anything that's going to be as, a phenomenon like that. I mean, because there really isn't anything like that. I mean, you could maybe Hunger Games or Twilight or something, sure. but even that's... Yeah, but the way TV works now, it's not possible, right? No, no. So I, I don't hunger for that kind of recognition at that scale. So uh, I, it's fine. You know, I mean, it's something that I understand. Um, and it's also something that is it's a phenomenal thing to have happened. It is a phenomenon. So, yeah, I'm fine with that. But you're you know? about you're about to be in something that's either going to have a lot of attention, right? I mean, you, have you shot Twin Peaks? You're done. You've 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 shot it. Yeah, I was. I'm. I just. I'm. I'm not in it a lot. Right. You know, that wasn't. That wasn't like a a running thing. Yeah. 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 But you're. But you're. So you're in the new one. Yeah. 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 And that's and that's an. I mean, like working with Lynch is an experience you enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a genius. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't use that word lightly. He's, I mean, to say that he's, he's a man who has a, a complete and unique uh, vision of what he wants to do. And it's kind of, it's a beautiful feeling to, uh, to be in that, you know, it's very secure. If you know what I'm saying? Sure. But you're at the point of your career now, like, you know, you're doing this music stuff. And like I said, you'll be at the Wilbur in, in February. Yeah. You're sort of at the point now, I'm guessing in your career where you're able to pick and choose what you want, it's got to be sort of comforting. You weren't able to do that, I'm guessing, no. 25, 30 years ago. 
No, I mean, you know, show business is hard. You're never like, I mean, it's very rare that you get to a place where you can pick and choose and it doesn't last that long, you know, for anybody. So show business is fickle and it's difficult. And yeah, I have more, more choices at my disposal right now than, than I used to, but you know, uh, that could go away tomorrow or, you know, all I got to do is, is make a couple of wrong moves. <laughs> so it's like, but I, I, then again, I don't care as much. Like I'm, I'm kind of just doing stuff that I feel is worthwhile or that I feel is, is challenging or that I feel is entertaining. Did you think though, like when, when, and I'll get back to the music in, in the book, yeah. which is relevant too here in a second, but did you get to a point uh, in your career? Like when the X-Files hit, you started doing some of these movies did yeah. you do movies because you thought you had to do them, some of them? Does, does that question make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think I was probably susceptible to that thinking at that point that there was a, a qualitative difference between television acting and movie acting, and I wanted to prove myself as a movie actor, which I don't, I don't believe anymore. I, I believe television has, has even, is probably... Oh, it surpassed it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So and and I think, you know, I was working at a time when that was happening, when television was starting to do the work that movies used to do. Right. So um but at the time I thought it was also like a it was a creative choice, you know, if I could go movie to movie then, you know, I wouldn't have to do the same character for years at a time or for 10 months at a time, stuff like that. Um but then that was that was probably why I I valued at that point being in movies more than I valued being in television. Do you think which I don't anymore? But you were still a guy who you know at the time you're a big star. You're you're starting to break out. X Files is huge. You're in these yeah. in, in these big movies, and still you do what I consider one of the I don't know five funniest cameos in television history on Larry Sanders, which is one of the great right. running recurring characters. I know you're asked about it all the time. Yeah. Of all time, I mean that's that's that. I remember yeah. watching the time and thinking, "Geez, you know, TV stars from ten or fifteen years ago would never play a character who pretends to have a or as a homosexual <laughs> crush on Larry Sanders." Like I couldn't imagine. I don't know who was a TV star fifteen years before that. John Ritter or you know, fucking like <laughs> right. Gavin McCloud. Like I don't, I don't right. see that happening. You know, right? Like how did that? You know, I'm sure you've told the story a bunch, and I'm, yeah. you know, if you're bored about it, I understand. But no, I'm not like, bored. Like, I, 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 how did that? Talking about Gary. How does that? How does that? What's the genesis of that? Well, I had wanted to be on that show um, for as long as I'd seen it. And I was up in Vancouver, and my my manager at the time would send me VCR cassettes. This is how long ago it is. Mm-hmm. And I would watch the Larry Sanders show, and I just thought this is the funniest show I've ever seen. This is the greatest writing, and uh, just please get me on that show. Whatever you need to do, I right. wanted to do SNL, and I wanted to do Sanders. And they were kind of like my showbiz checkpoints. I want to do Letterman. I want to do SNL. I want to do Sanders. You know, it's like then I'll know that I've made it. And um, I got to do uh, one, uh, one one show with Gary, and I met Gary, and we became friends. And he invited me to his basketball game and played weekly game over there. And at some point, we just started talking about coming back again and doing one where. I think I said, you know, it'd be funny if I had a crush on you, but it wasn't sexual. And this was before the whole man crush thing. We didn't have the right. words for it, you right. know. And they said, yeah, yeah, that'd be funny. And we just kind of riffed on it. And, you know, three weeks later, I was in in my trailer in Vancouver, and, you know, here comes the Sanders script. And, 
you know that was that was how he did it you know <laughs> gary gary was just i miss him miss him dearly they they replayed you know, the, so uh you know obviously after he, he passed they replayed a whole bunch of them on hbo they did a bunch of marathons and i was randomly watching the first might have been the first one yeah. And you called him on the phone. You're talking back and forth, and you're like, "I'll, you know, I'll be in town Saturday." And he's like, "No, Saturday. I think I'm not going to be in town. You just, you just want to hang out with him so bad. He has no interest <laughs> in hanging out with you at all. Like it's, it's illogical. And I guess that's what makes it so funny." Yeah. And obviously, the the basic instinct thing with the with the robe and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, you know, the 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 scene that you're referring to where I'm talking to him on the phone. Yeah. I was actually in my trailer in Vancouver and. Gary said, I think we can shoot the scene right now because they never shot my side of it. It's only my voice. And uh, so he called as Gary, and we just kind of improv that. So that's what you hear is the actual phone call. Oh, it's actual conversation? Well, no script. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. We knew knew what we were going to do. Guidelines, yeah. But uh, that's me, you know, in a suit as Mulder in my trailer in Vancouver, just calling Gary, you know, on a lot somewhere in uh, L.A. Did you uh and and you obviously I'm guessing we're pretty good friends with them all the all the way through. Yes, well we became we became great lifelong friends and and you know just great 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 friends. And he's another guy who seemed like you know he did exactly what he wanted to do. Like he didn't you know he didn't he didn't he or did. the sellout's a, a cliche, but you know what I mean. He did what he wanted to do. He did, and that was um, that was both his his gift and it was a bit of a curse for him because it was. It was, he was very, very um, painstaking in, in the kind of work that he would do. And therefore, you know, people would always say, well, why hasn't Gary done another show? And why, you know, why doesn't Gary work more? Well, it was because it had to be, it had to be good enough. It had to be the way he wanted it to be. And show business is not set up that way. So what is a uh, what is a Duchovny set list? How long is the show? I'm used to these like four hour Springsteen shows. So <laughs> no, when I, no. am I getting you know thirty eight songs? And you're stage diving. None of that stuff. <laughs> I don't have a catalog. Although Springsteen stage diving, and he's got more people to dive into. I might hurt myself if That's, I stage dive. No Springsteen covers. Uh, no, going to nope. do a uh, uh, Velvet Underground cover. Okay. Going to do a um, a band cover. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do. I do a Bowie cover. I do a Petty cover myself, and mm-hmm. then it. I play for about two hours. I play a good two hours, and um, I'm gonna do probably almost the the album, and then maybe four or five tunes off of uh, the new album that comes out in the spring. Excellent. That'll be in February. In your book, your novel, which came out last year, which I have to ask you about the te- yeah. the actual technical technical title is not Bucky Fucking Den, right? It is Bucky. The word fucking is not used, right? You put something over I the U. Well, you use it. Okay. In the, in the title is an right. asterisk where the U should be. Asterisk is the word I'm looking for. I should yeah. probably know that word by now. Yeah. In the plot, <laughs> yeah. and that came out, I want to say in 2016. Am I wrong? It came out opening day last year. The opening day last year. Did it do well? Yeah. You yeah. enjoy I mean, yeah. you know, b- books are, books is a whole other thing where, where, you know, you want people to be buying more books, but, but they're not. And, uh, that's, I think, you know, if you're working outside of like the thriller genre, if you're working outside of genres, it's even harder to sell books. But I, I, I get to I get to publish another one, so I guess it did well enough. And the plot is in just you know for people who are listening, they'll, they're around yeah. here, they may want to grab it. Is yeah. is it, somebody's work? I could be wrong. Somebody working for the Yankees? Well, he he sells he sells peanuts. At he's a vendor. Okay, yeah. I, I don't know if that makes yeah, it's not quite it's not quite an employee. So he's a vendor at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and his uh, he's kind of estranged from his father, and and you uh, you might like this if you're a father and son mm-hmm. uh, fan, but uh, he moves in uh, with his father after a long estrangement because his father's dying of cancer, and he, he, his father's a big Sox fan, and he's uh, he's obviously working for the Yankees, as you say, and the, the son at one point figures out that his father's health or his well-being is dependent on whether the Sox are winning or losing. And of course, we know that in '78, right. you know they're going to they're going to start to tank, and right. the Yankees are going to tie them at the end. So, there's a middle part of the book is kind of like this ruse, uh, faking outcomes that the son is doing for the father as the Sox start to lose, uh, by the use of the uh, new technology called a video cassette recorder. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard, I remember growing up in. Uh... <laughs> I remember taping Red Shoe Diaries and watching my VCR the next morning. Well, good man. Are we going to see, with all these TV shows that reboot and come back, we're not going to see, so. see Jake Winters come back? You don't want to see an old man doing <laughs> that. Getting massages from, uh, <laughs> did you, that's a dumb question, but like, how, is that an odd experience while it's happening? I mean, is it in any way like sexual or no? We, um, well, you mean talking about doing a love scene? No, well, no, but like the Red Shoe Diaries, if I remember, like you'd be getting massaged by these women in like intro no, scenes, right? No. Am I wrong? Yeah, Red Shoe Diaries, I was really like after the first. Yeah, you uh, were gone? The, I was, I would just read the letters and then it would be. Oh, that's, that's right, that's right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was just a lonely guy with a dog reading letters. Would you read those like, were you trying to read those as an actual actor or were you sort of tongue in cheeking it? Like, were you in on the joke? Uh, no, no, I was not. I was just like, man, I'm getting paid to do this. This is amazing. Yeah, it's true. You just basically started, right? Give me- yes, yeah. exactly. And do you think, were you surprised, uh, and again, I'll let you go on there up against it, and you get your show, as I said, in the Wilbers in, in February. Yeah. Um, were you surprised at the success X-Files had last year when it came back, and are you, you going to do it again? Uh, I, we're talking about doing some more. Uh, should have some news, uh, either yes or no, pretty soon. Was I surprised? Um... I don't know. I mean, I just felt like there was such a kind of a groundswell of support for it coming back that I I just felt like there was this huge loyal fan base that was there. So in a way, I wasn't surprised, but I, maybe I should have been. I well, yeah, I, just, I, yeah, I guess not. What surprised me was how, you know, because I, I, I liked, obviously, a big fan of the show. I really liked the movies, but that last movie sort of came and went. It was odd. Yeah. It was almost like... It wasn't promoted. It wasn't talked about. And then Friday, it just showed up like in the movie theater. Is that well? No, is that inaccurate? Well, it's not inaccurate. I think it was a conjunction of of a few different factors. One, it was kind of dark subject matter. Right. Um, it was about a pedophile priest, and you know, it was an X file around this particular character, played really well by Billy Connolly. But um, it also came out the weekend, I think, after Batman. Oh, yeah. And and it was it was kind of put in the theaters as a summer blockbuster. And, you know, we can make a summer blockbuster X-File, but that wasn't it. So I think I think it was a $30 million picture, you know, and it was right. supposed to compete with these $100, $150 million movies. So it was just a – it was a bad – I think Fox kind of dropped the ball on the franchise. It's funny. Is I, I'm talking uh, here on Friday uh, and – Last night I finished The Fall on Netflix, yeah. which I hadn't watched. Which is did you watch? It's yeah. a damn good show. It is good. Yeah, she was excellent in that show, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very, very good, very great. Yeah. Have you thought about doing stuff like that, sort of Netflix stuff? Or I mean, I guess yeah. if, yeah. if, if the I mean, script is good, right? Absolutely, it's a whole new world out there. There's so many different 
vendors who are doing great material, and they don't have to think about reaching a huge audience anymore, and therefore they can they can kind of hit a niche audience and do really good work. Right. Well, I'll let you remind me you're up against it. February 22nd, you'll be at the Wilbur. David Duchovny will be playing uh, for, I'm going to say, at least three and a half hours, maybe four hours? <laughs> no? Two-hour show. Uh, we, we have a tour name. Is there is there a tour? Uh, it's really Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. So, That's the album, right? Yeah, it's the album. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So uh, it'll be February right. 22nd, the Wilbur. David, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. All right, thanks again for listening to the Enough About Me podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm really not thankful at all. You should be thanking me. You get this shit every week, these great podcasts, totally free. Do me a favor. Would you go to iTunes, download it, go to Stitcher, do the same, and leave a rating, leave a review. That's where you can help me out. This podcast is going to be number one again, I guarantee it, and you're going to help me along with the process. So for that, I guess at the end, maybe I will thank you. There's a lot of thank yous going back and forth. Here's the point. Fuck you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.